um, holiday Thanksgiving flavors is what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. And I want you to just think about, we're going to approach flavors in a number of different ways. But the first one I want to talk to you about is the flavor of the imperishable. Things that can't be destroyed. And Hebrews addresses that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God and accept worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now if you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and go to the dozen or so verses before this passage, you will see that Paul talks about Mount Sinai. And he talks about the fear that the Israelites had at Mount Sinai. I mean, even Moses trembled um, in fear before Mount Sinai. As God was getting ready to give them the Ten Commandments, he wanted them to have a reverence and a fear for those Ten Commandments and to impress upon them the seriousness of the law. When, I, when we lived in Huron, Kelby was just real young. And um, he, he posted on Facebook here yesterday, I think it was, a, a, a scripture about disciplining your children. And I thought of all my children, I probably went way overboard with him, uh, especially when he was young. But he was, he was very strong-willed also. <laughs> and and I, I remember the struggle because we lived right in the city, and I had to impress upon him that he just couldn't run all over the street. You know, that was important, and it was important for his good. Um, it wasn't selfish. I had to impress upon him. And I remember he got lots of spankings, hard spankings, before he figured out that the street was not a place for him. It was not his playground. Um, but that still registers in my head how, you know, how mean I had to get for that to register with him that the, there was not, the street was not his playground. Well, God was just as concerned about the Ten Commandments, um, that those were for our good. And so just like, um, just like we have to impress upon our children the seriousness of, of some laws, um, God was impressing upon his, you know, um, his children, that they couldn't break these Ten Commandments. And as a result of that, God did several things. You know, he warned them that even if an animal uh, crossed into up the mountain, it would be killed and all of that. So there was a seriousness about Mount Sinai. And then he goes from talking about Mount Sinai, and, and Paul goes to talking about Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is always a reference to Jerusalem. But not always the same Jerusalem that you and I think about. Most of the time when Mount Zion is referenced, it is a reference to the holy city of Jerusalem that you and I know of um, over in Israel. But Mount Zion represents also the heavenly city. Um, it represents um, heaven. So here on earth, Mount Zion represents the new Jerusalem, or, uh, Jerusalem but within just a couple of years of when Paul wrote Hebrews, the Romans would come in in 70 AD and they would totally destroy 
the temple. They would totally destroy. And I know where I've been in Ezekiel and I've been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem back there in 586 and all of that. But 500 years later, it all happens again. They rebuild and Jerusalem is just destroyed by the Romans. And that happens, and here's the holy city, the Jerusalem, that these, these people had loved. And it's totally destroyed again um, for the Jews by the Romans. And so Paul says to these people who are about to lose Jerusalem for another big event in their life, he says to them, be thankful because you are inheriting a new Jerusalem. You are inheriting a Mount Zion that cannot be destroyed. Not by Nebuchadnezzar. It cannot be destroyed by the Romans. It can't be destroyed by any power here on earth. There is nothing that can destroy it. And in that passage, he describes the heavenly city as characterized by thousands upon thousands of joyful angels. Just think, just think of getting to heaven and there being all these angels, thousands upon thousands of them, uh, joyful angels, he says. And then in heaven also is all these believers in Christ who have died. So those from the time of Christ on who have died, and you know, people that you have known and loved that knew Christ and you know, all the people all the way back to Christ who have died in Christ as believers in Christ, they will be there. And then he says, thirdly, God the judge will be there. So he's talking about the Heavenly Father and notice that he specifically references that we will recognize God in heaven as a judge. Then he skips and he, he leaves talking about God for a minute and then he says, and all the Old Testament saints who have been made perfect before the time of Christ, all of those Old Testament saints who trusted in God but didn't know Jesus yet because he hadn't come, all of those Old Testament saints who have been made perfect, they weren't perfect when they died. You and I won't be perfect when we die. But they will be made perfect because at that point, they will um, have had the chance to get introduced to Jesus and his blood will cleanse them. And then he says, the last thing he tells us about the heavenly Jerusalem is this, that Jesus, the mediator for our sins, will be there. So you have this, this aspect of God in heaven. When we get to heaven, you have God who is the judge, who could you know, judges for anything. And, and any one little thing would be enough to keep, keep us out of heaven. But Jesus is also there. The mediator. The one whose blood paid the price for all of my sin and for your sin. And Paul says that of the things for which you and I should be thankful for, one of them is this. We should thank God that you and I have an inheritance. We have a Mount Zion. We have a heaven that absolutely nothing can destroy. 
as precious as Jerusalem on earth is, it's been destroyed numerous times. <laughs> Nothing left of it. But there is coming, there is an inheritance that you and I are part of when we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that it stands and it will stand and it cannot be shaken. So because of that, he says to us, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. Now, during Thanksgiving season, we are typically encouraged to thank God for material things that we can see and place our hands on and touch and all of that kind of stuff and enjoy. And rightly so. We should be thankful for all those things. And I'm going to spend most of my time this morning talking to you about those things. But I wanted to start this morning reminding you that all of those things are perishable. <laughs> all the things that we give thanks for at Thanksgiving are things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Some of them are things that you and I highly, highly treasure, and we can't imagine our lives without them. But the Romans can take them tomorrow. <laughs> the Babylonians can wash it away. There can be nothing left of it. Everything that you and I appreciate and are thankful for, it's all perishable. It, it can be gone. Don't ever forget to be thankful that because Jesus Christ is in your life, you have something to be thankful for that is imperishable, cannot be stripped away from you, cannot be stolen from you, cannot be wrecked by anybody. It's imperishable. It is there. It cannot fade. It cannot spoil. It cannot perish. Don't forget that. In the words of 1 Peter, most of the things for which we're grateful for are things that perish, spoil, and fade. But we have in heaven kept for us an inheritance that cannot perish, cannot spoil, and cannot fade. So, the first flavor I want to talk to you about is the flavor of the imperishable. Remember that. The second main thing I want to talk to you about this morning is the flavor of the perishable. We have so much to be thankful for. We open our eyes and we look around and uh, there are needs all around us. There are pe people with needs all around us. And uh, that can remind us actually to be very thankful um, for what we have. Even sometimes when we look around and we see people who are short of resources and they really have um, physical needs, and sometimes we can look and say, well, they're making unwise choices here and all of that. Sometimes that's a great opportunity to thank God because we have been taught better or we have been given better examples 
or we have been surrounded by better influences and we've been surrounded by better resources and all that kind of stuff that plays a role in how we live our lives, we can thank God even in those times for all that stuff that maybe if we had been in their situation and their environment, grown up the way they grew up and had the influences they had, but for me, the grace, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. And so we ought to be thankful in those times. One of the other things as we age, um, I'm assuming all of you are too, and it's not just me, um, but there is an increasing number of things that we used to love that we've had to say goodbye to. <laughs> we have an increasing number of friends and family um, that have departed from this life. And, and um, it's amazing as I talk to older people, you know, they get to the point where there isn't anybody left, that their, their friends are all gone. That's a hard time in life for them. We have, um, I, you know, I, I think just back over the last 22 years that I've been here at this church, and, and I miss some of those great saints that I started with. I think in the early years of Glendon and Edna Olson um, and uh, the impact that they had on this church. Later years, Harold Chadwick and Edwin Kozier and Josephine uh, Flatland Kozier and Joe Wheeler, and then more recently, Paul and Bill and uh, Gordon. And, you know, those are only just a few of the many, many funerals I've done over the, over the last years. Um, but what an impact those people have all had on the church and on the community and all of that. So, and that doesn't even begin to count the people who have moved away or gone in the nursing home or those kind of things. Um, you know, so we stop and there's, there's losses that come into our life. We also, as we age, we, there are huge investments that you have made with your life and huge investments that I've made with my life and um, sometimes as we age, we see some of those things go belly up. <laughs> things that we put a lot of work into that it's not there anymore. Um, I remember the pain. I, as I pastored here and within the course of one year, I watched both of the, the two churches that I pastored previously close. I remember the second church um, closed first. And then within a few months later, I got the word that the church that I started ministry in uh, closed. And I remember, you know, those, those were, that was hard for me as a pastor to watch both of those two previous churches um, close the doors. And, and we have plans and we have dreams um, that get squashed. And then, you know, what's worse, you know, sometimes is we lose health and vitality and energy and the strength of our youth and all of that. And we can't do what we used to be able to do not too long ago. <laughs> well, the ways um, that we have done things, some, some of those things change. And a lot of it's for the better. But some of it we don't think is. Some of it we're pretty sure is not for the better. But there's things that we do different. And we, we were used to doing things a certain way. And now all of a sudden, we don't do things that way. The world doesn't operate that way any longer. Um, the music we used to love isn't really valued anymore. 
Uh, it's been replaced by something that sounds like more like noise to our ears than music. And, um, you know, every generation changes in that and all of that. Much of what we did yesterday doesn't work very well today. Or you can't even find, you know, um, <laughs> stuff to run what you had yesterday. Um, and so we watch um, also in our culture. And we watch some of the disgusting and some of the distressing cultural changes that we couldn't have even imagined would be part of our culture today. You know, there, there's things that we see on the news today that 10 years ago, we, we absolutely could not comprehend that our nation, our people would even think this way, respond this way to things. So the question is, how are you and I to respond to those things as we age and we, we experience this life that is perishable and, and things change and things perish? Well, first of all, we grieve and we mourn for a season. Remember when the Israelites suffered the loss of Moses. They grieved and they mourned for 40 days. And then God said, your grieving is over. Here's your new leader. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. <laughs> so we grieve and we mourn those losses as they come through our lives, but our grieving and mourning can only be temporary before we get on with our lives in a spirit of thanksgiving. And we must give thanks for the cherished things, the people, the things, the experiences, the relationships in our lives that have perished. Instead of continuing to grieve them, we begin to thank God that you and I had the privilege of having those relationships that are no longer there. But we thank God that they were there at that time. For those experiences in our life, for all the things that come along, I may not have something that I used to have. But instead of grieving over it continually, I thank God I got to enjoy it for a season in my life. Someone has said, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Now, our consumer-centered um, culture is driven to make us unhappy. <laughs> Everything about the TV in between the show, all the commercials are just driven to creating you a certain level of unhappiness so that you will go out and spend some money either getting an experience or buying something. That's the whole purpose of every commercial is to make you unhappy. And then to trick you into believing that you can become happy if you will just do this and spend your money on this or that or something else. That's the purpose of every commercial, to make you unhappy. But you just stop and think about your grandparents. They were probably much happier people with a lot less stuff and a lot less experiences in their life. And they didn't know any different. <laughs> they didn't have somebody all the time telling them to be unhappy. They just enjoyed what little they had and they were thankful for it. 
So gratitude turns what we have into enough. They were grateful for much less. And uh, we can still be very grateful uh, even when we lose something out of our abundance. And when we don't get what we want, you and I can choose to be happy then, just like our grandparents chose to be happy when they didn't have what they wanted. You know, in our culture, we just go into debt when we don't have what we want. They didn't do that. They just went without and chose to be happy in the midst of that. And so godly wisdom tells us to be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful for what we have. So I'm talking to you about Thanksgiving flavors. We all have favorite flavors. Um, foods that we like and foods that we don't like. Some people love turkey um, at Thanksgiving. And other people are anything but turkey. Thanksgiving diners like my son, Kelby. Um, <laughs> some like cranberry relish. Some people prefer um, the dill pickles. Some people like pumpkin pie. But as for me and my house, we will always be pumpkin pie without nutmeg, please. Um, um, now I can't really imagine anyone wanting to make fun of me but when I go over to school when the Schwann's truck is there people like to make fun of me because I don't buy ice cream uh, from them anymore because years ago they quit making my favorite kind of ice cream which is butter brickle ice cream in fact no one makes it anymore but I grew up devouring the four gallon tubs of butter brickle ice cream and every time the truck came mom always got at least two of those tubs uh you know and we we went through that pretty heavy my dad ate maple nut i don't know what was wrong with him but the rest of us ate butter brickle and um i used to be able to um get it just during the holiday season well they even quit making it during the holiday season so I am left just being thankful that I was able to enjoy butter brickle ice cream when I was younger. Can't enjoy it anymore. They don't make it anymore. But I used to be. And so I have to be thankful for that. But I can still annoy the um, Schwann's man when he comes and always ask him if he has butter brickle ice cream. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, one of, the, one of the things I did when I was working my way through college and seminary um, was I, I cooked my way. That's how I paid my bills for college and seminary, is I spent a lot of time in the seminary and college kitchen. Someone has said that cooking isn't for everyone. Um, it is an art form that includes all kinds of other disciplines, such as math, um, knowing how to convert measurements and all of that kind of stuff, chemistry, what things go together and don't, reading, can you read a recipe, um, and history. Um, culture and all of that kind of stuff. Well, we have all tasted foods that were indeed very, very beautiful. They were, you know, a piece of art. And yet when you tasted them, uh, they were sadly disappointing in the science. Um, they just didn't have the right mix of ingredients and all of that. And we've all been surprised by food that we picked up that wasn't presented very well. It wasn't very appealing. But it made your taste buds swim with delight. And so, you know, cooking really is an art experience. It is really a bit magical. 
um, there's a strange combination of art, science, and culture in it. And, and so up on the screen, you can see how somebody is showing you how different kinds of things will affect even a chocolate chip cookie and all of that and, and how it turns out. But um, even the humidity in the kitchen affects um, the outcome of your baking, especially if you're doing breads and that kind of stuff. Um, the science of knowing which ingredient goes with another seasoning and how it interacts with all the other ingredients and seasonings. For example, um, one needs to know just how soft the butter needs to be for a lot of many cookie recipes uh, to make the perfect cookie. Um, it's not just about the ingredient, it's about the temperature and the humidity of that ingredient and all of that. Or take many desserts that um, could be a lot better than they turn out if somebody had just known to put um, just a dash of salt in the recipe because the salt takes the edge off the sugar in, in almost every dessert. So every, each ingredient and every spice adds something um, to what we're making when we're cooking. And sometimes too much of a good thing completely ruins something. Um, they tell me that you can make squash taste good. Um, but if you start stripping away the brown sugar and the salt and, and the butter and the marshmallows and all of that kind of stuff, um, you end up with something that no one would choose to eat, not in their right mind. Um, <laughs> John Maxwell makes the case, and he says that people are really like food. We are born with certain traits and characteristics, and we inherit our DNA from our parents, the base of flour and um, eggs in our lives. But as soon as we are born, there are other kinds of people that come in and they add you know, a, a dash of this or a dash of that or something else to our lives. Um, they add the seasonings and the flavorings to our lives, and some, some people are kind of like bay leaves. You wouldn't want to eat one of them, but you would allow them to stew in your life for a little bit, and then you pull it out before you serve it. Um, some people are like bay leaves, and so um, we leave them in in the stew while we are cooking, and, and other things add a hint of flavor, and some, some people come along and they transform our lives from the ordinary meal to the culinary delight. But all people in our lives, even the ones we wouldn't choose as a main ingredient in our lives, all of those people are an important part of our lives. They are part of God's grace in your life and in my life. The New Testament word, the Greek word for thank, uh, thankful or thanks is charis. It is the same word that we translate grace. And what he's telling us there is that you and I, Thanksgiving is about just appreciating God's grace in its various forms in our life seeing the way that God interacts with us and works in our life. So we give thanks for all the people, for all the experiences um, that God uses to bring his grace into our lives and to shape us and to influence uh, because you and I, every one of us, are a masterpiece. 
God is making a masterpiece with each one of us, and, and he's using all of those ingredients to shape this masterpiece he's building in us. Sometimes he puts some seasonings in, some ingredients in our life that we don't really like. But it's all part of God's master plan in building this masterpiece that he is planning to create in each one of us. Malcolm Forbes says, people who matter are aware that everyone else does too. So I want to say today, first of all, that I'm thankful for every one of you. The Apostle Paul was truly a great pastor, and he was thankful for his people all the time. I mean, you pull out any book of the Apostle Paul's, any one of his epistles, and almost invariably he will start the first chapter thanking God for those people that he's writing to. It was a little short with the Corinthians, but he did get around to it at the end. <laughs> but almost every time Paul writes a letter, he writes and he thanks God for these people that God has put into his life. And he names them names particular people, especially at the end of almost every book he writes. You know, give greetings to and, and thanks God for those people in his life. Well, I'm not the Apostle Paul, and I'm not always very good at about expressing appreciation like he was, but I do want to say today that some of the richest blessings in my life are there because of the people in this room and the people who have been and are now moved on. And in regard to this church, I just want to say a few things this morning that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful to God uh, for your heart, for your heart for God, for your lifestyles that honor God. I'm thankful for your generosity in tithes and offerings. I don't know how many churches there are in the world that struggle from one week to the next and try to figure out what fundraiser they're going to do to pay for this and that and something else. I'm thankful I don't, as a pastor, I don't deal with that because you're faithful and, and it's a, a commitment, it's a discipline and all of that to, to adopt the practice of tithing, giving 10% of your income um, back to God and trusting Him to do great things through that. But I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you are a people that care about uh, the property that represent God's work here at Johnson Corners. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've had talk to me in the last couple months about just how sharp and how nice Johnson Corners looks um, and, you know, all the grading and resurfacing and all of that. I've had a lot of people stop me and just tell me, man, it looks nice out there. That, that is great. And so I want to thank you that you're a people that care about that, uh, the improvements, uh, the maintenance that you've provided for in our grounds and facilities. I, I am thankful today that you are people that are um, eager to hear the whole counsel of the Word of God. There are many churches I could go to and I could not preach for five weeks on a book called Ezekiel. I'll guarantee I could not do that in many American churches. But next Sunday I'll finish up and I'll finish up on a good note. On a high note. 
But I want to thank you that I can stand in your pulpit and preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. I also want to thank you that you are people um, who are willing to bless targeted ministries outside of ourselves. I think of the blessings uh, that we are able to give to the academy uh, in this building, um, the missionaries that we support through global partners, the projects, anti-sex trafficking, uh, clean water projects around the world, all kinds of other things, child sponsorships and other things that we do through World Hope. Um, I'm thankful for the church plans. You know, I just believe, friends, I, I believe that there are literally a hundred people in Bozeman who have come to know Jesus because this church helped get that church plant going. And, and Charlie has told me, I don't know how many times, he says, I don't know if in those early years, without the encouragement from Johnson Corners, if I'd hung in here. <laughs> but there are people in heaven today, and people who are going to be in heaven today in Bozeman, Montana, because of the generosity and the faithfulness of this church. I think of Aurora down there with Pastor Reed and, and the impact and the difference that's happened down there. I think of the Jesus film, uh, the most effective evangelistic project in the entire world where hundreds of thousands of people are coming to Christ and being connected with churches. Um, not just Wesleyan churches, although the Wesleyan church is, is a, a great leader in, in a lot of these countries, but hundreds of thousands of people are coming every single year to know Jesus as Lord. Uh, I think of the student scholarships and helping Matt McDonald and, and other students get through ministry uh, programs in, in school so they can go into ministry. And so I, I do want to just thank you. I, I was, a couple weeks ago, I was going through and trying to figure out where we were. And, and you know, it, it struck me that this year, by the time we get done with this calendar year, or the, the church calendar year, in April 30th, we will have given away more money outside of our church than our church budget consisted of the first several years I was here. That has nothing to do with me, and that's because of you. And I want to thank you for that kind of a heart and all of that. So, in conclusion, it, it's time for that. So now you can be thankful that I recognize that. Um, <laughs> thank God for the perishable things, for the people and the experiences that you once enjoyed, but you no longer hold in your hands. Thank God for the perishable things in this life that you currently enjoy, the experiences, the experiences, the influences, the health, the relationships. Thank God for all the things that currently today you have. And then thank God that you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, have an inheritance in heaven kept for you that cannot be destroyed, it cannot be shaken, it cannot be cracked, it cannot be broken, it cannot perish, it cannot spoil, it cannot fade, and it is kept permanently in heaven for you. Thank God for those things.